The conversation you are about to jump into is one of the best conversations I've had on this show and this channel. Now, it's actually the longest. I think it's like twice as long as like my average interview, and that's because we go into some deep stuff. Now, I know this might not be the typical content that I put forth where I'm talking really specifically about financial stuff, but this is a bigger level picture, and it's super important for you to have. Uh, it's maybe one of the most important ones that I would recommend that you listen to. Um, it's what I learned a long time ago, 25 years ago from Robert Kiyosaki, and he said that um, imagine a, a cup, like a glass and you have the glass and you can put the contents inside. So the, the glass is the context and what you put inside is the content. And we don't, eventually we can't put any more content in, so We need more context. We need a bigger cup. And that's exactly what I try to do on this channel. And that's exactly what this interview does. So while it might not be the most tactical information that you want today, it is that important. It's the big picture stuff. It's how you can change your thinking to change your life. Of course, we do get into um, how to discern truth, how to think through complex things to make them um, simple, what I try to do all the time. We also talk about um, where the future is going, what are the different systems that we have, um, what can we do, what is the hope that we have for the future, and then ultimately I ask him at the end to give me his forecast for how this plays out over the next decade. Um, this is a conversation that I really, really hope that you'll listen to. Um, um, it is available on podcast as well. Just go to search Market Disruptors Podcast and you can listen to it because it is pretty long, but it's super important. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors Show. Today, I'm sitting down with Alex Fetsky, and he is the CEO um, founder of Amber, which is a Bitcoin service. But more importantly, he is a very, very well um, He's a very well-respected thinker, uh, writer. He's been writing some amazing pieces that uh, have really caught my attention. I really want to dig into these and discuss them with everyone today. Um, he just wrote a new piece, The Bitcoin Times. I think it just came out yesterday. I'm going to link to it down below. And I would advise everyone to go check that out and read his work. So I'll link to it down below. But uh, Alex, welcome to the show. Mark, thank you very much for uh, having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So um, I've obviously, like I said, been kind of following that stuff that you've done. I think you kind of caught my eye about a year ago. And um, you talk a lot about breaking things down to their most basic truths. Um, mm -hmm. And so they're kind of easy to understand. And then obviously, you're kind of painting this future of where we might go and hopefully ways we can prevent that. So that's what I want to kind of talk about today. So for everybody that's listening, uh, that's kind of what we're going to cover. But why don't you go ahead and just uh, give us a little bit of background on what you're doing and and kind of what you're writing about right now. Cool. So, so I think uh, what you mentioned there about breaking things down to like base truths is, you know, a lot of people, we, we've been sort of brainwashed through what I call fiat academia to, to sit here and believe that we need a source for everything, you know, that, that, you know, truth is all relative, you know, morality is relative and everything is relative. So there's no actual truth. Um, and that, you know, we need to do empirical kind of testing for everything. Um, you know, you see these uh, academic monkeys who are like, Oh, you know, do you have a source for that? Uh, and, and it's just, it's so <laughs> ridiculous because there's, there, there's so much in life that, um, like that are that are praxeological truths or that are what what you know is called in philosophy like a priori truths where you don't need proof to 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 be able to deduce if something makes sense or not you can you can quickly dismiss something without any evidence 
if you can uh, find if it's consistent with what's called an a priori truth, which is true whether or not you test it, whether or not um, uh, you knew the answer or didn't know the answer or didn't even know the question beforehand. And like mathematics is like an a priori science. It's, you know, one plus one equal two long before we figured it out. Um, so, so that exists, you know, and, and other a priori truths are things like, um, you know, like uh, time moves forward, you know, you can't move back. So, so something that happens later, you know, is a consequence of something, you know, that happened before. So, you know, we have directionality. So, so there's, there's a bunch of things. Uh, another good example would be, um, you know, uh, more of the same thing is worth more than less of the same thing. So, so, so you, you don't have to, you know, that when we look at Austrian economics and all this sorts of stuff, you know, that we can build these uh, accurate theories where we can predict what happens with certain uh, interventions in an economy or in a, in a system, not by having to empirically test it because it's impossible to empirically test an economy because every human being is different and every moment in time is different. So you can't actually go back and apply any models to it. So what we do is we use praxeology, which is a, which is a non-empirical science to say, um, based on these sets of truths, uh, which, you know, we can deduce to their, to their, to their base level. Um, if we do this, if we behave like X or Y or Z, uh, what direction will that lead us in or what consequences may that have? And the world seems to have lost this. Like the amount of people that I've asked, uh, that are young these days that have gone and studied economics at university. And I say, have you, you know, did you guys do a module on praxeology? And they're like, what's that? It's like, yeah. Like the most important, like I, I think the most important two sciences on the planet are praxeology and math. And like, it, you know, people are not taught any of this crap anymore. So, you know, we're just taught to regurgitate whatever crap is written by another person who's regurgitated someone else's crap. And we've got, we're just referencing garbage on top of garbage on top of garbage. And we, we live in a world now where there is no objective truth anymore. Everything's relative. Um, and we just, you know, we're, we're, we're swimming in a sea of lies and a sea of bullshit. So yeah, we're, coming back to your original quote there is like, I try and break things down to these base truths. Um, and we, when we can start from there, we can, you know, remain consistent and come up with ideas, concepts, rules, um, and we can observe how, you know, best to, to live and to cooperate and to act as human beings. Um, I, I just think that's missing. Yeah, that, that, that was great. Now, I know a lot of people might hear that and go, whoa, that was kind of deep. I'm not exactly sure where the, what, what that means. And so we're going to dig into that. But just for everybody listening, I want to really talk about where, um, because we have these problems today, where we're headed because of that. Um, mm -hmm. Talk about this kind of uh, totalitarian um, nightmare that we're kind of starting to have where the nation states are just having all this power and then what we can do today to protect ourselves and then and change that. So uh, make sure if you're listening, you're going to stick around for that because it's going to get good. But before we do what I want to, what I want to do is just, you've just mentioned that uh, people have lost this ability to break that down. And so I also see the same thing where people can't think on their own. And so maybe we could just talk through how people could actually change that. Obviously not sending people back to um, university, but I think you could give us some basic tips of how people could start to find truth and how they could start thinking. So if we can start with that and give people some ways to think clearly and have some truth, then we can show them where the world's going and how we can solve it maybe. So 
what do you think about uh, that? Like, how can people think more critically and find that truth? I think one of the, the, the word that comes to mind for me at the moment is responsibility. Um, and, and I think one of the things we're taught in today's day and age is this, this uh, kind of palming off of our responsibility or our personal agency. We kind of give it to someone else to make decisions for us all the time. It's like, you know, instead of pursuing what you want to learn, you're, you know, you're, when you're at your most, uh, you know, individualist and curious and uh, spongy as a child, you're dumped into basically a sausage machine of a state indoctrination system, which is called schooling. And you have all your individually individuality bashed out of you for 12 years. Um, and you're all taught the same shit uh, as everyone else. And, you know, you come out on the other end and of course you can't think for yourself because you, you didn't choose at any point in time what you wanted to pursue. There was no, you know, uh, natural inclination towards a particular uh, thing. You know, it's very, it's very rare uh, that, you know, parents are wise or intelligent enough to sort of give the room for their children to sort of move into things that they want to uh, take responsibility towards pursuing and you know when i mean it's really evident when you look at people like elon musk and all that sort of stuff you look at their younger years and what their parents were like and how they helped uh, nurture their own individuality they're the people who are changing the fucking world yeah. not the ones who just became drones uh, going through school so like and, and to that point, real quick, it's also interesting to see that a lot of the people that you mentioned are actual college dropouts. They actually didn't go all the way through yeah. college and get droned even more. Correct, correct. So, like, I think individual responsibility is such an important thing. Like, I, I, I mean, I call Bitcoin the renaissance of responsibility because everything it does, it like, it puts the individual back at the locus of the decision-making point. So, if we look at the way the world's structured today, is monetary decisions are made by not you by someone else uh you know political decisions uh war uh medical who you should hang out like i mean particularly 2020 it's fucking wild you know you're not allowed to hang out with anyone you're not allowed to choose what's healthy for you or not you're not allowed to train you you know you're, you're told who how many people you can see you're told who you can spend time with over, like it's everything that defines an individual as a human being uh, is being stripped all of your personal agency all your personal responsibilities taken away from you and it's it's wild because I, I had a chat with this uh this girl that i was sort of seeing a little while back and she was talking about how recently you know she's been reading books about how um you know setting intention and, and it's a bit woo woo you know like i used to be in this into that whole you know if you're setting intentions the universe is going to bring you all this stuff you know I, I don't buy into a lot of that crap anymore but she's sort of going on her journey and I understand the journey she's got to go through. But what's important about that journey is a lot of that woo woo stuff, kind of the, the, the essence of what it teaches where there's some truth is this idea that it brings you back at cause uh, in terms of the decisions you're making in life. And you as the manifester of your life in some way, shape or form are in you know, some way responsible and are in more control of your life. And I was asking her, because she, she said, I feel much better since I've started thinking this way and doing this. And I inquired, I was like, why? And she's like, I don't really know. And then I sort of helped her extract the why. And the why is because when you're responsible for yourself, you're truly free. Like, like freedom can only come from responsibility. When yeah. you give up your responsibility to someone else and you give your ability to choose, which I believe is your only human right, um, 
you diminish your own freedom. You make your, your world smaller. You, you close up your uh, circle of influence or your, you know, your, your comfort zone and you become less of a human. So, so it, it destroys you from within. So I think for people to start thinking uh, for themselves, I think they need to take more responsibility across different elements and just stop listening to what some institution, like especially stop listening to fucking uh, the news the experts, as soon as you see, hear the word expert, run in the opposite fucking direction, like yeah. run for your life um, or academics or intelligentsia or any of that sort of crap. Like find people who live what they um, talk or, or live what they preach, um, li- you know, discover what their principles are and then apply those principles. Like look for the same type of principle across different areas and then apply it to your own life and take responsibility for the decisions. Like that's how we become better human beings, not by giving our decision-making powers away to others. Yeah, that's a great point. And it does really start with that responsibility. And uh, to your point, the, the program she went through or some of the stuff you were into, and I've been, been through lots of personal development. I think a lot of us are always trying to be better person, a better person, but they always talk about, hey, uh, you are not a victim, right? Your past, you yes. can't change your past, but you can change your future. And it all starts with taking responsibility today to make the future what you want it to be versus what the world is telling you is it's not your fault. You're overweight. You can't help it. It's not your fault that you're poor. And that's what we really see, especially today with politics is you can't get ahead because you're a minority. You can't get ahead because you're a woman. You can't get ahead because of your sexual preference. And so if they can make you that victim mentality, then you need that savior. But really we're not victims. We take responsibility. So I love, I love that approach. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think the victimization, like I, I call it, we live in a world of oppression Olympics. You know, everyone is arguing about who the fuck's more impressed, you know, oh, sorry, not impressed, oppressed. So it's right. like, I'm oppressed because I have brown skin. Well, I'm oppressed because I have black skin. Well, I'm oppressed because I'm a woman and I have black skin. I'm oppressed because I'm a woman. I have black skin. I'm a single mom. It's like, well, I'm more oppressed than you because I have a, you know, I'm a woman. I have black skin. I'm a single mom and my kid's retarded. So it's like, we, we're going to keep like, arguing about who which minority is more oppressed till we get down to like the individual anyway and it's like you know that this is what we've been talking about from the beginning it's like the individual is the the the, the core unit and at the end of the day that there is no one like we can't um you can't live in a society where you know one group because they argue are more oppressed than others get some fucking benefit it's like get rid of all of that and put the responsibility in the individual's hands to do something about it and then you know you 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 have a bottom-up approach to change as opposed to this decree top-down kind of approach which assumes that everyone is a poor victim is some loser um, and at the end of the day some poor group (laughs) has to pay for you know, the redistribution to everybody else. And, you know, that group has changed over time, but it's, yeah, it, it's, it's sickening, man. So the first step is that people have to take responsibility for themselves. And somehow we need to convince people that they need to do that. Um, and I think Henry Ford said that thinking is hard work. That's why so few people do it. Do it. And, yeah. and if you understand your body, actually thinking requires a ton of energy. And so your body doesn't even like to think. Your body wants to turn everything into habits. Right. So you, it can go through these motions without thinking. So it's almost like this human nature is to not think. 
um, because it, it uses too much energy. So we kind of have to force ourselves to do that. Uh, but, it, but it's super important to do. Now, if someone wants to take the responsibility and now they're getting this information and they're seeing experts telling them this thing or that thing, is there some principles that you have that could decipher that, that could help them think about that critically, how they could break that down or something? Hmm. I think you were going into an example before we started talking about like the different layers of thinking kind of like on the tables, kind of that what you were talking about. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's, let's do two things here. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the, this concept called the table of truth, but then I'll also talk about this. Um, I'll talk about isolation versus holistic, uh, is, isolated thinking versus holistic thinking. So what you find when you're you know pursuing uh, truth, I guess, is You'll, you'll find a lot of uh, experts and central planner type intelligentsia, you know, academia, bureaucratic morons. They always think in terms of uh, isolated components and surgically fixing an isolated component without uh, the ramifications it's got to the whole, right? So, uh, you know, a, a good example of that is, um, I mean, a vaccine is a good example of that. You know, let's let you know. Let's just assume that Corona is real and all this sort of stuff, um, or, or that it's a big threat, right? Um, by rushing in, or actually, the lockdowns is probably a better example. By rushing in and closing down all the businesses, they think that they can solve this problem in isolation. But what they do is they create a thousand other problems because the whole system is holistic. And the more we fuck with one part the more we create these reverberations that spread out throughout the rest of the system for the system to find some sort of equilibrium because you can't deal with things in isolation. And this is one of the, the, the Keynesian problems is they think that, okay, if we print money here, we're going to somehow solve the problem, but then they create another hundred problems. It, and it's, it's funny. I, I learned this lesson viscerally when I was, I, I did stunt driving when I was uh, 25 years old. And one of the things I learned was, when a car is losing control, so we would be, you know, driving and then uh, the, the teacher out of nowhere would uh, grab the steering wheel and just pull it. So the car would just lose control. And if you wanted to fuck yourself up and flip the car over, you would grab the steering wheel and try to get control. If you wanted to live and not flip the car over, you let go. Wow. And the car finds its own balance. So if you're ever, so, I mean, if anyone's ever listening to this and they're ever losing control in a car, you let go of the steering wheel. You do not touch the brake. You do not touch the accelerator. You just let go. And the car will find its own natural equilibrium. So it, it's, a, it's a really interesting um, example of any complex system. Like biology is the same way. It's like, you know, we, we, we think like, you know, when we're looking at healing cancer or healing some problem, we go in and we bombard this one problem with drugs or, you know, uh, chemo or this or that and we think we've eradicated it and then what we find is we've created another 10 problems um, and we're like oh where did those come from oh well you know let's hit this one let's hit and then we we make the thing worse um, so I always look at when I'm when I'm looking for truth is is this person talking about dealing with an issue or something like in pure isolation without the, thinking about the consequences to the whole um, or are they approaching it in a holistic manner so that's one good filter the other one is this is this table of truth, and this is something I think people can apply to just about anything in life. Is I I'm going to write about it extensively in a, in a in a book that I might publish next year or the year after, whenever I get some goddamn time. But basically, the the, the concept I'm I'm calling the table of truth. 
And basically, uh, the, the reason I pulled it a table is that, you know, there's these four legs of objective truth uh, and then this sort of table of subjective reality. Now, it's a working title, so bear with me, but effectively, we've got leg number one is we exist, or, you know, we live, we're born in a world of finite material resources. Uh, we can't create shit out of thin air, like this, so we've got finite resources. Uh, we also live in a world, so the second leg is uh, time that is fixed and finite. Right. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, we can't print more time, we can't go get more time. Um, we also live in a world where energy is fixed and finite. We can't create energy out of nothing. Um, you know, the, the, the perpetual energy machine doesn't exist, uh, perpetual motion. You know, we, we can only transform energy and use it. Um, and then fourth is, uh, so this is the fourth objective truth. That, and these are, these are truths that cannot be changed. That these are what I would call a priori truths. Um, the fourth one is that time moves directionally forward. We can't move it backwards. Um, and as a result, that means the future is always unknown or uncertain. None of us have a crystal ball. We can't tell the future by the very nature of time's directionality. So we've got these four objective truths. And then the tabletop um, of, of reality I call is uh, we are all unique individuals and we all value everything subjectively. You might value black shirts more than I value, you know, black shirts. I might value green shirts more, you know, like water, Coke, food, this, that. We are all fundamentally unique. So when you wrap sort of uh, these four objective truths in, the, in this subjective reality, this, these false notions that we get fed, like, you know, these utopian ideals of peace on earth or, um, you know, th there'll never be arguments or we can remove conflict. Um, you know, everyone will be happy. Uh, we should, yeah, yeah. you know, problems, you know, uh, are bad. You know, we should remove, like, all of these stupidities, you, you find that they, they're not consistent with this table of truth. Because if we're all subjective and we have finite resources, finite time, uncertainty, and finite energy, there is always going to be conflict. There is always going to be problems. There is always going to be um, disagreements. There is always going to be friction. That, that is life. But how life manages all of that is by, um, by two functions, either um, cooperating and resolving and coming up with a better quality of problems, so sort of moving up, or um, you know, thieving and taking and creating a you know, tragedy of the commons. And, and that's sort of the two directions that we can go in. And one of them is compatible with life. The other one is incompatible with life. You know, one of them is compatible with the truths of the, these objective truths and the subjective reality. And one of them is incompatible. It, it chooses to ignore those. And, and that's sort of where we are today is like, we're ignoring these realities. Um, and we're trying to uh, you know, listen to experts and politicians and bureaucrats and academics that try and say, look, you know, we, you know, are powerful enough as individuals to eradicate, you know, every sickness. It's like, no, you're fucking not. Like, you know, when we're not, it's such a, it's such an arrogant standpoint to, to try and, um, yeah, yeah, to, to try and dismiss these, these realities. So, yeah. Yeah, I love, I love, I love that 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 thinking of a of a system, and and really, I was just thinking of like our modern medicine that we have today, right? Where they want to just treat that one thing in your body <laughs> without thinking of your body as a system, and and then there are you know holistic or or functional medicine doctors who do take that into consideration, 
but it's like, oh, you're depressed. Uh, maybe you have a Prozac deficiency. That's probably what your problem is. You have a Prozac deficiency, right? Instead of like thinking about like, what are, what's your diet? What's your exercise? What are you focusing on? What are your, like there's all these other yes. things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a good way to think about that. But I, and, and then I guess if I also summed up what you're saying is that everything has trade-offs, right? Yes. And, I, and I see this because I mean, I, between my videos and everything, I, I probably see 5,000 comments a week that I go through. So I, I, I really kind of gauge what people are seeing and, that's the one thing that I see is they think everything is like this or that, and they don't understand the trade-offs that are there. Um, and so I guess what you're saying is if people can understand that you, you need to think of things as a system, not in isolation, and then also understand that each decision has a trade-off, they'll at least be better equipped to deal with information that's coming at them. Absolutely. And I think you just probably nailed the, the like a third model for, for, for deciphering, you know, or calling bullshit over truth, you know, for, for people is look at what people are saying is if, they, if they're talking about these panaceas or these utopias or these end states or these, you know, ways to fix everything, you know, they're not talking about the reality, which is trade-offs. And that, that is, the, that's how reality functions is like, what are the trade-offs? Because everything has a trade-off. Like, and, you know, Bitcoin is one example is it's trade-off is that people need to take responsibility. But I would much rather live in a world where we have responsibility at the edge with the individual than responsibility at the center with some totalitarian that dictates what we should all um, live like. Because one is aligned with life and one is not. You know, when you look at nature, when you look at life, it makes its decisions at the fringe. It does not have some you know, preordained, you know, dude that's sitting in the middle that dictates what the lions are doing, what this is doing, what that's doing. It's like nature finds its way at the fringe and, and that's compatible with life. We seem to be ignorant enough to think that we can do it from the center and somehow manage it. And, and I think, you know, the hubris of that is we're not going to stop life as this broader thing. We're just going to either do one of two things. We're either going to get back in line with uh, this flow of life, which is, you know, uh, come back to bringing responsibility to the individual and do all this sort of stuff, or we're going to be uh, the latest evolutionary example of what was incompatible with life. And yeah. we're going to make ourselves obsolete in the process. Well, one of those two fucking things is yeah. going to happen, but we're, you know, we're not, we're not larger than life itself. So if we take that and then we start to transition that back into kind of where we're at in the world today and, and where we're heading in, into the world, I would look at that and go, well, you know, we have isms, we have socialism and communism and fascism and capitalism and all these different things. And people want to argue what the meanings of those words are and little flavors of the same thing. And so I've thought about it like there's really only two, right? We really have either a free competitive model or we have like a captured centrally controlled model and maybe we just break those down into those two basics so socialism socialism communism fascism they're all what you're saying centrally planned controlled and then capitalism whatever you want to call it i don't know if that word works anymore but it's free market competition do you see it kind of broken down into those two levels and those are our two options moving forward that's it. And, and, and it, I know it sounds overly simplistic, but it's literally, you know, do, is it, is it the, I, I generally call that same model. I call it um, individualism versus collectivism. Mm -hmm. it, it's one of the two. So we either 
place the responsibility in the individual, or we assume there's no individual and we assume that, you know, one group can dictate to all the individuals what they should do or, you know, and, and like, and it doesn't matter wh whether it's democracy, socialism, communism, it's all the same shit. Like in democracy, we're seeing that in America now, like democracy apparently is, uh, you know, 51% uh, of the people uh, imposing their will on 49%. It's fucking stupid. It's, yeah. it's categorically ridiculous. So, um, it's actually interesting because when you look at nature as well, nature actually uh, species other than insects, which are, which are quite different to, to how humans cooperate. Um, uh, but species actually have two ways of uh, all other species other than humans and insects have two ways of cooperating either through tyranny or territory. And uh, tyranny is that top down approach. And there's a very, 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 very few species that operate like that. The majority, the overwhelming majority of natural species, all operate through this territorial biological imperative, that that is um, that is naturally emergent. It's not uh, like there, there's a brilliant book by Robert Ardrey called the um, it's called the Territorial Imperative. And and when I read that book, I had this like epiphany. I was like, holy crap! Private property and you know the individual as the locus of private property is actually biological. It's not some man-made cultural construct that uh, the collectivists would have you believe it's actually ingrained in us. Um, it, it's something that, you know, it, it's nature's way of creating equilibrium in the world without uh, creating a tragedy of the commons. So every single species has this innate ability to sort of have a territory, have a home, um, and that territory is actually defined by what it can defend. So, so at an individual level, it's like we all have natural private property rights and it starts with us uh you know extends to our thinking extends to our work and then extends to that uh which th that the the natural stuff out there that we mix our work with and you know then that becomes our private property in our territory basically and um it's just one model like i said again it's compatible with natural law the other one is not and 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 that's really the fight here is um is you know do we make ourselves a, a an evolutionary example or do we you know move with that flow and it's a i don't know i think we're in a care at the moment yeah a great illustration uh it went around a while i i posted it. i know a lot of people posted it on online quite a while ago but but the perfect example is is just a lion right so a lion yes, out in the yes, wild yes, he's yes. free and uh he's free to do what he wills but at the same time it's not a safe life and actually, just uh, two weeks ago, I was talking with a friend who was a SeaWorld trainer, um, and now they they do private um, dog training. But he was saying, we I, I was explaining this to him, and he said, yeah, he's like, the life of a lion is not easy. They're constantly fighting, having to defend their territory. They go days or eat whatever, however time without eating. Like, it's a very rough life to be a lion, but they're free. Or we can put that lion in a cage and give it one meal a day and all its shots and meds, and it can just live there in a cage, and it's safe, <laughs> but it's not free. And so you kind of have those two trade-offs. But like we said, n nothing is black and white, so really everything is almost like a blend. You know, Do you have a little bit more of this, a little bit more of this, I guess? Um, but I think that's a great illustration to kind of show. And then the one problem with that is that you know once that lion lives in captivity, or especially is born in captivity, they can't just go back to the wild. And so we do have these people who have been used to that, like you said, offsetting, all, offloading all their thinking, uh, living uh, like a caged lion, if you will, right? And like, how do we get those people back into the wild? And so that's going to be 
uh, definitely a tough, tough task, I would imagine. Well, it's going to be tough. I mean, every, you know, everything has a cost and maybe the cost of, uh, as, this is going to sound really harsh, but the cost of having given up your personal agency responsibility for so long is that you no longer have the, uh, the mandate over yourself. Um, and the cost is you end up becoming a casualty of this, this pendulum of life that's going to swing back to individual responsibility because like there's a guy who uh, he's a complexity theorist, mathematician, uh, Joe Norman, if, if you, if you've heard of him. Uh, so, so he, he's brilliant. And he talks about like, you know, he, he's a, he's a localist called libertarian localism kind of guy. And, and he kind of, I can't remember if it was him or somewhere along the lines. I don't know. The, 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 the idea that the world is going to fragment anyway, because we've sort of, we've centralized it so much and centralization is the process of giving up individual responsibility, right? So, so you kind of move responsibility to the center. Now this, because it's incompatible with life and nature is going to fall apart. Like it's not, it's not a matter of uh, will it, it's, it's going to crash. It's going to crumble because it's fragile. Uh, the, the more you centralize power and decision-making, the less it's able, the less you're able to adapt at the fringe. So something's going to crack it. Now, the only question is, is do we do that fragmentation uh, consciously uh, or does it happen unconsciously? And if it happens completely unconsciously, it's going to be fucking messy and violent. And there's a lot of people who during that process are going to be in a world of hurt. Uh, now, the more time you spend becoming responsible for yourself across different levels and finding communities who you can be symbiotic with and, you know, find complementary. And this is, I guess, the proverbial Bitcoin Citadel idea is that, you know, the, the Citadel doesn't necessarily have to be a place, but it's a, it's a community of people who might be complementary with each other is we are building, uh, you know, this sort of. Uh, we're bringing the, the locus of control back into not only ourselves as individuals, but voluntary communities, which is how we are able to abstract uh, responsibility. So it's a, yeah, man, it's, it's such a, it's such a simple, it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. Right. Like all things and, in and, life. And yeah. Correct. Correct. Like how do you lose weight? Well, I need to get this Fitbit and I have to track my macros and I have to do these things and I have to wear the right clothes and I have to do it. No, it's simple. You just consume less yep. calories than you take it. I mean, than you burn, right? Like, um, yep. so I get that. Now let's, uh, let's try to push this into something more um, timely and kind of what we're seeing right now and then, and then hopefully practical. So uh, right now we're seeing this process. You said like the more we centralize, uh, almost like the, the, the faster it's going to crash. And right now we're seeing massive centralization at a level we've never seen before. Um, you talked about that in kind of one of your last pieces that, uh, we're losing freedom and we're seeing centralization happen at a rate that we've never seen before. I would even say that not even at the speed, uh, the, the rate of speed we've ever seen before, but also at the scale, because yes. now it's really global. And for the first time, I think, you know, a lot of us have heard about this one world, one world all the time, but to see the entire world locked down in unison under the direction of the WHO was something to be seen in my opinion. And so we have these, NGOs, non-government organizations, the WEF, the WHO, the WTO, the UN, and the IMF, and they're all trying to centralize this power and at the same time. Are you seeing that? And, and, and does it seem like we're on this, as you said, this kind of uh, this rate of centralization to kind of have this global centralized totalitarian world? I mean, is that, is that where people are trying well, to take us? I mean, 
what other option do they have? I mean, they, they don't, they don't have like, they, well, they can been, let people, been, they can let people make their own decisions. Yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately in their model of the world, that like for you to think that for an individual to believe that a world government is good, they, they also have to believe that individuals are incapable of deciding for themselves. So, so, so it's like, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. So, so the, their belief system comes from a model of the world, which is, all you peasants are dumb and ridiculous and you can't decide for yourself. We know better. Yep. So we, as a, you know, institution that you didn't elect in any way, not, not that I believe in voting or elections, but anyway, you didn't elect us, but that doesn't matter because we, the intelligentsia and the, you know, the, the statists and whatever we are, like the, the, the bureaucrats, we know better and we know what's right for you. And we're going to mandate that uh, at a global level, irrespective of like, it's funny because it's so contradictory. I did, I did this video a while ago talking about how, you know, discrimination as a concept is bashed, but diversity is uh, applauded. But like, you can't have one without the other. Like, yeah, they're the same thing. Have diversity, exactly the same fucking thing. You you need to discern, uh, you need to discriminate in order to to make a decision. And you know, in the process of discrimination, you create diversity, you create differences, and like so much for the call for diversity when now you have the same idiots who have been calling for diversity, quote unquote, uh, now calling for, you know, we're all the same. We're all in this together, blah, 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 which, which is the antithesis of diversity. And like, I'm all for diversity, but at it's like, like I'm talking true diversity, which is like what nature is. Nature is completely diverse. There is everything and anything in nature. And it's like it, nature abhors, uh, like monocrops or, or monotony. It like, you know, look at food. Like when they create these monocrops, they die. Like, well, you know, the, I think Brandon Quidden was talking about this uh, last week when I was on a podcast with him. Like the original banana, they created the same species of banana. Um, I think it was the company was Dole or whoever it was. And this is sort of where the concept of a banana republic came out. And then one parasite, I think it was a f fungal parasite, wiped out all of the fucking bananas. And And that's the problem with like, homogenizing everything and this is what but but the 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 benefit of homogenizing everything is that there's efficiencies to be gained so if you're a central planner what more do you want you don't want diversity you want a homogenous easily like you you want a bunch of drones that you can tell what to do really easily because it's much easier to to control that from the center yeah. when you have diversity when you have something that's alive it's very, very, very difficult to control. So the only way they can validate their existence is to try and enforce conformity across the whole populace. And I just think that's silly. Well, the reason why they need the conformity is because they're trying to push, like we should all have like equality of a, like we should all be able to have the same opportunity, quality of opportunities, but they're trying to push for equality of an outcome. And you can't get the outcome because like even two kids raised by the same parents in the same house in the same neighborhood with the same school still end up in different places. And that's because the decisions that they've made are different. Correct. And if we want everyone to get to the same outcome, then everyone has to make the same decisions. And the only way to get everyone to make the same decisions is to limit them to where they, they yes. don't have any choices. Correct. So I would actually even go a step further on this. So I think the quality of the outcome is a complete fucking derangement. Like that's the dumbest thing ever. Um, I actually also think quality of opportunity is uh, a falsehood too. I don't think that's possible because that would assume that, uh, re remember that table of truth that I discussed is that would assume that 
um, all materials are distributed equally, that all uh, time and energy um, is, you know, available to, to everyone. So it's like, but, but not necessarily, right? Because we're, we're all, we all have 24 hours and we all have the chance to go get those, even though the resources are limited, if we all have a chance to go get resources, like that's an equal opportunity to go get them maybe. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a tougher one because the, the problem is, uh, because life is dynamic, like unless we had some you know, great reset event, like a zeroing of everything, right? And, and I don't, not trying to use their stupid term here, the great reset, but I mean, like, unless we sort of brought everyone back to zero and we all started again, we, we just can't fundamentally get to an equality of opportunity. So I just think that um, what we can move towards is not even um, equality in any sense, but like a, a system that is incorruptible, uh, and fair, and this is this is really where I, you know, find Bitcoin the the one thing that is our life raft is. I honestly think Bitcoin is the one thing that cannot be corrupted, that cannot be changed, that is beyond the reach of anybody. And as a result, we're not even like I mean, we don't even have the equality of opportunity for Bitcoin. Like, we don't have access to it and all this sort of stuff. Like I know in some countries in the Balkans there is complete like blanket bans on this stuff. You can't get your hands on it unless, you know, you've, I don't know, met someone individually that can do it. So, so we're not even going to have equality of opportunity, but um, maybe on a long enough time scale that may change. But even then, like material resources are um, uh, spread unevenly. The, the parents we're born to are different. Um, you know, the, the place we're born to is different. You know, the values we grow up in is different. The cult, like diversity by its nature means that we're not going to even have the quality of opportunity. So, so, so like, so um, think- like uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this where he's like, look, you can't change your past. It's like playing a game of poker. You play mm-hmm. the hand that you're dealt, right? So dealt, yeah. you, you got dealt a better hand than I did. Um, but I still have the same opportunity to play my hand as best as I can, just like you have the opportunity to play your hand. So I can still bluff you and I can still do this and whatever, even though my hand sucks and it is what it is, but my opportunity to play that hand. So I don't know. Uh, well, it's, it, well, so I call this less um, the equality of opportunity. I actually call it the, um, what I believe is the only human right we have. It's, is, it's the right to choose. So long as that remains, right. um, you know, the, the, at the core of, uh, like, so, you know, equality in two things is we all should have the equal right to choose simple as that. Um, you know, and number two is, uh, equality in the way that probability or luck, uh, imposes its will on us all. Right. So, you know, luck is something you can't take out of the equation because luck is, you know, this sort of, I call it the force of randomness in the universe. Like it exists and we can't remove that. And as long as it, you know, applies to everyone, and this is the problem with centralization. What they do is when, when forces are able to centralize power or concentrate it, they actually, um, they, they change how the probability or randomness associates uh, to their decisions. So like the perfect example was the GFC in 2008. Shit blew up but then they socialized the losses. So, so they pushed the consequence of, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the probability of blowing up, they pushed the consequences out to the fringe, um, you know, and they got the benefit of it. So they, it was, it was a game of heads, they win, tails, we lose. And, and that kind of, um, uh, I guess, 
unequal distribution of the application probability creates both um, inequality of opportunity and inequality of outcome. It, it fucking distorts everything. But I think fundamentally inequality, equality of opportunity is just a difficult one because again, opportunity is, um, is a bit broader than just having the right to choose. So I think it's equality and the right to choose and equality and probability. Um, and I think those two ingredients are really where we're, the only things we're really equal in. Everything else is diverse. It, yeah. it's, it's uneven. And that's a good, that's a good point. I mean, equal, equal, equal chance to choose. So freedom, right? Break it down to being mm, free. Mm, mm, mm. So um, if we're free, then we all have the freedom to choose. And I, I guess, and, and, and the more it's centrally planned, the, the less free you are to choose. And at the same time, the less equal it is because now they're picking and choosing their own winners. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, so the world that we're moving into, as you, as you made the point in your, your most recent article, right, we've lost more freedom at, at the fastest rate we've ever seen in history. Like I said, I, I already said, we've, we've seen power centralized more than we've ever seen. And so uh, before we started recording, we talked about how like almost every like futuristic movie has always shown this kind of totalitarian nightmare. And, and that's obviously where we're headed. Um, but then you just mentioned that, you know, we have this life raft. And so I've gone on, I just went on, on someone else's show this week and I went on this rant and I said, it's the only thing that gives me hope um, because I think it's the only thing that can break this. I see that we're going into this centralized controlled nightmare. And the only way to break that is through, is through competition. And Bitcoin is what enables that competition. What do you think about that? How do you see us being able to break that grip of, of totalitarian control and, and where's our life raft? Well, Again, so so Bitcoin because it's this, like I called it earlier, this renaissance of responsibility. It 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 brings, um, it, it gives us instead of trying to change the existing corrupt system from within, it gives us that new level playing field where no one is able to. Uh, again, this is where holistic thinking comes in. This is why it's so important to think holistically, and why Bitcoiners, I think, in general, are holistic thinkers. Is um, Bitcoin itself doesn't give anyone the ability to get an advantage because in getting an advantage for yourself, you actually disadvantage everyone else. So that's how the world works at the moment, right? So central planners, bureaucrats, the academics and all that sort of stuff, they give themselves an advantage, but it's at the expense of everyone at the fringe. So in Bitcoin, you can't do that. There's, there's, the, there's a fixed supply of money. It's got its rules. Um, if you don't, you know, abide by the rules, you're out. Like, you know, and it's not, you get booted out. It's like you, you voluntarily, opt yourself out um, or you voluntarily opt yourself in. So, so there's no, there's no impulse other than your own uh, personal, I guess, need for survival, your own personal Darwinian, you know, force of, uh, you know, of existence that drives you to want to have access or, or operate on this field of Bitcoin. So it, it does that out here. Now the existing system because it's you know debt based because the you know the the vanguard of the existing system you know is not just going to give up the fucking reins you know they're going to try and grip more and more and more as the as the things sort of slipping out of their hands they're going to grip harder and the harder they grip the more it slips yep. um, they're going to naturally concentrate and centralize and become more draconian now my arg argument is in the absence of bitcoin Yes, we do go into a totalitarian type of, you know, dystopian, whether that's, you know, looks more like Orwell or Huxley or a blend of the two, like I think, you know, is most likely we're going to look like a brave new 1984. 
I think that's going to happen, but long term that collapses anyway. Um, the the beauty of Bitcoin, and if we sort of throw some sort of biblical elements here, is you know as this life raft is, the flood is going to come, and in that other totalitarian system, in the absence of Bitcoin, we all just fucking drown. Like it's really, really, really bad for everyone. Whereas with the existence of Bitcoin, some of us are going to be able to protect that wealth as this other house of cards starts falling down. And, you know, I wrote this whole book, uh, this whole um, article about uh, what was it called? Bitcoin and lockdowns, I think. And I, I put that model of you come to Bitcoin through curiosity or pain. Right. Those of us who are curious now to get in before the pain has really set in, we're going to come in there and we're going to sort of claim territory on this new promised land, you know, which has its own constitution, with which has its own rules that we all voluntarily agree on. Uh, we're going to get in there and we're going to claim some territory now while everyone else is still trying to fuck around here with this house of cards. But as the house of cards starts to fall over under the gravity of its own stupidity, the pain is going to start to set in and then people are going to come across to the only thing that's still functional. Um, and yeah, it's like everyone is going to come across to it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And um, the, on, the only question is, yeah, how are you going to come for curiosity or pain? And, and I think, yeah. yeah, but Bitcoin to me is, again, the last thing that gives me hope because without it, the, 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 the totalitarian central planners do not win on a long enough time scale. All they do is they kick the can down the road to the next central planners. And one of them is going to drop the hot potato. Right. But the question is whose head does it drop on? And it's all of ours. Bitcoin might help us, you know, have a sanctuary for, you know, when that thing falls down. And I think that's really the distinction here. What I was thinking is that, um, as you said, they have that grip and why would they want to give that up? Uh, and it's unfortunate. Um, you know, there's just those people in life that want to have control, right? Whether it's your local neighborhood association or your your parent teacher association or local government or whatever, people just want to control. And so they don't want to give up that control, that power, right? Uh, and why would they? We've already talked about that. So at some point, maybe it, it fails. But even when it fails, a lot of times you kind of get the same system. Tried, let's try it again yes. a little bit different. Yes. So in yes. my opinion, the way that I see it is that the only thing that can really break that grip is competition. So if the United States and Australia and China, they're this, uh, you know, this nightmare. Um, but another country says, Hey, come over here. You can live free. Uh, you can no masks and you can have any business you want and live free. And then people might go there. And then if enough people start going there, another country's like, wait a minute, uh, you can come here too. And then it's through that competition cycle where countries will realize they can't um, extract. And the reason why I think that's important is like, Growing up, I had friends whose, whose families came from Iran or Afghanistan. One of my best friend's family came from South Africa, and they left an oppressive country to come mm -hmm. to America that was free. But the difference was, is that when they came, they couldn't bring their money out of the bank, their gold, yes. their real estate. So they came penniless. They had to start over. And Bitcoin is the only thing that changes that. So now we can control our money. We can take our money with us, which I think will speed up the competition which will, and I believe that's the only thing that will break the grip because people will, that, 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 that centralized control, it just won't work when people, when there's competition for another system and Bitcoin helps that. I don't know. That's what I was thinking. What do you think about that? Look, that's, I think that's the, it's a very realistic, optimistic view. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic that, uh, and again, I write this in the article is like, 
I, I hope that Bitcoin helps cushion the fall of the, the, the centralized model as best as possible, because what you're discussing there is a cushioning of this. You know, th these, these existing centrally planned nation states and, you know, attempts for world government and everything, they are contrary to, to how life functions. You know, life is this competitive thing. You know, life is always competitive by its very nature. And competition is conflict and so so that's going to exist and uh the incentives to create uh places whether you know we'll call them citadels or you know sanctuaries for the free or whatever uh that will exist because there's going to be people with some wealth <laughs> and and this is why bitcoin is just so powerful is that it, it doesn't matter if you're friend or foe bitcoin benefits from you <laughs> like you know if you as a nation state, like game theoretically decide, fuck man, we need to hold some of this thing because it's appreciating in value. Um, you actually inadvertently make it stronger and make yourself as a nation state obsolete. So like it literally takes everything and turns it into this, I call it the prospering of the commons. Like it makes itself stronger. So I think that force is definitely going to help us. And this is why, you know, Bitcoin is the, is the arc, right? Is, is it's going to allow us to have and build places of sanctuary because the incentives exist. Sometimes though, my more pessimistic side, and, and this sort of is a function of how deranged I've seen society become in 2020, is I think, man, like so many people are still asleep. And I, I guarantee you when things get much better for Bitcoiners, there's gonna be a lot of people out there who are gonna point at us and say, you got lucky, give us your money. and you know, we're going to have to really think deeply as Bitcoiners you know, about how to defend what we have. I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of Bitcoiners and I'm one of these is before you get my Bitcoin, I'll burn my private keys. Like you are not going to get them from me and yeah. I don't care. Um, and, and in doing that, I actually strengthen the rest of my Bitcoin friends um, because I've just you know, decreased the supply even further. And, and that bit of like, you know, this is the one thing that never existed before is a, a network or a system or, or, or a tool wherein the cost of attack was so high, but the cost of defense is so little. Um, and that changes the game. And this, this is, I guess, at the, at the very core of the whole sovereign individual thesis is that when you, when you change, when you alter the cost of attack um, and the cost of defense and you, and you, you make one more expensive uh, and the other cheaper, is it changes how human beings interact. And, and I think, you know, th this is why Bitcoin is hope. It, it genuinely is the one thing where we can uh, prosper from collaborative efforts as opposed to uh, efforts of theft. And yeah. I don't know, man, it, like in many ways, it ain't gonna be easy. There's gonna be a tough decade. Um, you know, the, the, the more Bitcoin appreciates and the quicker it does that, I think the better chance we have of building a, a larger lifeboat uh, for more people, and then that'll uh, cushion the fall more for more people. Um, but if you know, if the populace stays largely ignorant, and you know, Bitcoin's emergence takes another two, three decades, and everyone decides to get vaccinated and all this sort of shit, this just may take longer, and it just means that uh, the fall of the state is going to be more painful. So, so it's going to happen. The question is, how painful is this process? That that's yeah. really the only question here. 
Yeah. To your point about them saying, Hey, you got lucky. We want some of that money. Um, I mean, that's not a guess. That's what we're seeing today. Um, you know, they're already like, well, we need to raise taxes on the rich. Right. And we see that depending on what you consider rich. Um, now it's $400,000 in the United States, whatever. Um, you know, we've seen AOC come out and say that, um, you didn't make a billion, you took a billion. Right. So like we already seeing that narrative shift. Um, so, so you're right. I mean, we, we know that. And we also just know human nature, right? So we know that yeah. as well. But I just think like in the Cayman Islands or in St. Bart's, for example, like people go there for money, right? So like mm -hmm. I can take my wealth with me. I'll be in St. Bart's. I'll see you there, right? Maybe that's our Citadel. Uh, but I guess uh, I'd like to uh, maybe wrap it up by moving into the question of like what we what you see in the future now i'm not going to ask you to predict the price of bitcoin because i try not to even focus on that because it's mm -hmm. so much more than that and actually i was uh is, yeah. i was actually thinking last night um you know maybe it sounds cliche at this point we talked offline i mean i came in because of the ideology i came in because it's censorship resistant i believe it it can change the future um and to see something to see the need so big and the only tool that we have to solve it but people are talking about Lambos. Like, really? <laughs> like, with, yeah. with what the problems we have in the world, and I'm scared, I got kids. I mean, I, all I think about is how to navigate this for my family. When I see the problems in the world and the only tool that we have to solve it, and people are like, talk about trading it for a Lambo. Anyway, <laughs> it blows my mind. That's, um, that's the fiat world we live in, right? Is yeah. We've all been taught that, you know, consumption is the path to happiness. And, that, and then this is why I love a lot of Jordan Peterson's work is that, and I completely 100% concur with him, this idea that happiness is not a goal. It's not a noble goal. Happiness is a fucking byproduct. Like the goal, the pursuit is meaning. And we, we live in a world where we're taught that happiness is the thing. So, so then, we, you know, we achieve happiness through, we achieve, sorry, fleeting surface level happiness through, you know, how many likes we have on fucking Instagram and, you know, what photos we have in this narcissistic crap and the next you know, a bit of chocolate we eat, the next bit of fast food we consume, the next, you know, bit of, you know, TV we watch and all this crap. Like it's just this surface pathetic version of life that is all in this pursuit of fleeting happiness where, and, and that's where the Lambos come in. It's like the, that same fiat high time preference mentality versus the pursuit of meaning is deep. It's low yeah. time preference. It's yeah. fucking meaningful and it's hard. Um, and, you know, it takes time. And, and that's, where I think, you know, people like you and I get along is that we're on that path versus this other one. Which In, in regards to that, I have a nonprofit I work with and our quote is that happy people help others. And so uh, back to that, that pursuit of happiness, uh, I would think most people probably have experienced this and would agree that the most happy feeling you might ever have is when you've helped somebody else and helped them, they're happy, change their life. Like when you're an adult and you have kids, like all your fun is having, watching your kids have fun, right? And so if I can go solve a need with my neighbor and really help them out, I give them a gift that they really value. Like I, that's like the best feeling. So um, anyway, it's not about me buying a Lambo. It's about me helping other people. But so anyway, back to this. So I don't want to, I'm not going to ask you to guess where the price of Bitcoin is going to be, but how do you see this playing out? Maybe you can give me that kind of a guess. Uh, obviously we have the WEF, the World Economic Forum. Their goal is by 2030. So they have this agenda by 2030, you own nothing and you're happy. Um, that's that goal. And they've stated it. It's on their websites or pictures are yep. there. Um, yep. Right. Yep. So the goal yep. is by 2030, they've, they've established this common, they don't call it communism, but we live in a commune. We own nothing. Right. Um, so that's their goal. 
how do you see this playing out? Do you, do you see us, uh, over what time frame does Bitcoin change this? Does this fall apart in three to five years and we move to this competitive model or try to forecast that for me? Ooh, uh, I, I don't think it's um, one or the other. I think it's a, it's a messy, convoluted version of both. So I, I think whilst, uh, so, so there's going to be, I, my guess is that it's going to be far more polarization um, so, so there'll be this kind of uh, ripping and stretching of society where people are pointing at what they can inherently feel is a problem, but don't know how to articulate it. So you'll end up with more socialism. You'll end up with, uh, you know, the continued separation of Main Street and Wall Street, um, which will look like on the surface that, you know, the rich are the problem. Um, now, what that'll do then is then that'll kind of like point the guns at the rich that people can actually get money off. And that's not, you know, the, the, you know, call it the elite lizards or whatever we want to call them. That'll be the business owners and the middle classes. So we'll keep eroding the fucking middle class. But I think what that'll then do is that'll push those people who are productive towards something like Bitcoin, because they're going to, that'll be that pain driver. They're going to find that there's nothing else and they're going to come across someone like you or I or someone that they respect who has got some Bitcoin, who gets it, who's been orange filled and they're going to sort of say, hey, look, come into this. And, you know, they're going to come into it with a probably a mind frame of, oh, you know, this. I thought this was some Ponzi scheme. But as they dig a little bit deeper, it'll, it'll you know, spark their fire align with their own values of you know personal individual responsibility because that's what a producer is a producer is someone who takes you know the creation of something into their own hands and and there are many of us but there's not many of us in bitcoin yet um so so, so those people slowly but slowly keep coming across and i think we'll have an opportunity to build cities citadels communities etc of people who are more um collaborative and you know productive in nature and the way we'll connect ourselves is i think through bitcoin and and this i think will be a very um decentralized grassroots you know bottom up movement against the backdrop of a continued conformist uh drive towards the world government where people will be more depressed more dependent more stupid more docile um you know more uh, <laughs> they'll own nothing they won't be happy <laughs> Um, and they'll wonder why they're not happy. And, and as that thing sort of crumbles, um, you know, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to, to rise. Now, the, the one thing I'm uncertain of is, you know, the, the nexus between those things is do those uh, failing states uh, try and come and take our ship, you know, who are the, the productive constituents of society, um, or do they realize? You know, do, do they make the um, uh, the game theoretic choice not to come and take our ship, but to collaborate with those of us who have created these pockets to compete um, for it? And correct, exactly, exactly. So, so that's that's the only thing. And and again, that's not a clear answer because some may compete, some may not. And then what that's going to mean is we're going to need to get strategic with how we, um, you know, how we protect ourselves in this and the the negotiations and the agreements we have with the old world. So, so I think it's going to be, it's going to require a lot of courage, strength, prowess, uh, intelligence, uh, self-sovereignty, you know, the ability to protect. It's going to require a lot of that on our part. So, so I'm a big advocate of all of us who are in the Bitcoin space to build 
skills outside of just you know whether you're just a coder or whether you're an economist person like you want to build skills and you want to build networks because it's going to require us to really be uh, intelligent over the coming decade and my guess is that the 2020 decade is going to be quite tumultuous but i actually think that by the time 2030 rolls around will have definitively won because this clusterfuck of a centrally planned world is going to fall under its own weight it cannot persist uh, you can't fight gravity for long and i think beyond 2030 is that's when we'll see the opportunity for bitcoiners who at that stage are going to be so incredibly wealthy we're going to have an opportunity to rebuild the world uh, in a more fragmented localized manner so so that would be my humble attempt at a guess yeah so uh, we have the free society and we have the, the centrally controlled society and the the central model continues to get stronger and stronger and stronger but maybe simultaneously the free model continues to continues to news maybe by 2030 we hit the tipping point and then the free model starts to take over do i summarize that to correctly? Extent, kind of i think the centrally planned on the surface it might look like it's getting stronger i would argue that it's uh it it looks like it's getting bigger but it's becoming hollowed out so i, I actually would argue that it's getting a lot weaker but it's kind of like an egg so so it's 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 you know becoming completely fucking hollow mm -hmm. there's no belief behind it there's no faith in it you know it's empty it's uh it's unhappy it's depressing but it it comes out like with this bravado of like we're bigger and better than ever but in reality there's nothing there's no substance mm -hmm. whereas we might be smaller but there's some fucking substance yeah and when that shell is cracked the whole thing will fall apart yeah. Now, one more thing. I mean, you talked about like um, the need, uh, will these other nation states, will they come and compete for it or will they try to take it? And I think maybe in the sovereign individual, they kind of made this case. Uh, but basically, we can see that throughout history um, thing, we, we all of a sudden had a shift, right? So for example, um, at the beginning of time, you had one guy came over and took another guy's goats. And then another village would come and take their goats and their women. And then um, a kingdom would come and take all their gold and their goats. And then like, um, now they would go and take their their oil, right? Um, and, they, and there was always something to go and get. But today, as you said, the cost to defend has come down. Today, what are they going to get? They're going to get my 12 words? Like you said, you would die before they get that, right? Or whatever. So like, <laughs> what are they going to take from me? There's no oil. I don't have any oil. I don't have any goats. I don't have any gold. Like, good luck. So that, I mean, as you, you already made the case, lower the defense. But I mean, I think that also shifts things quite a bit. It does. That, that, that's the one thing that changes the game more than anything else in the past. So every single other revolution, like you sort of mentioned with your friend from South Africa, is in the process of the revolution happening and the power overturning and all that sort of stuff. The old holders of wealth, um, you know, good or bad, they lost it all in the process. So like, or, you know, when you've left one oppressive jurisdiction for a new, you have to leave everything behind. And or there's always been something to rape and pillage. Now, mind you, the you know, they, they may be able to come and, you know, wreck the place that we're living in. Um, but, but there's very little benefit for them to do that other than trying to impose, you know, we're bigger than you and you must listen to us. So, so I don't know, like uh, Hong Kong is the one thing that, you know, I guess wasn't predicted in, uh, in the sovereign individual in the sense that how China actually did come in and, you know, put the, like they, they've got very little to gain from Hong Kong. Uh, by coming in and doing what they're doing. And in fact, they're just going to hurt themselves in the process. But the fucking idiots did it anyway. Like, it's baffling to me that the Chinese went and did that with Hong Kong. Um, yeah. so, so, so I think 
you know, I, I call it never underestimate the stupidity of a status. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, they will, they will, they'll cut their own nose off to fucking spite you. Like yeah. to spite their face. Sorry. It's, so it's like, it's, it's a really, I, I, and that's why I think we, we can't sort of rest on our laurels and just hope that game theoretically, you know, cause, cause game theoretically speaking, cooperation does make more sense for the failing state. Yeah. But some of these clowns are really fucking dumb. Um, and you know, we, we sort of need to be prepared for that. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, with that, we're going to wrap it up. I, I, it's been great to have you. I would say that this is, um, I think this is the longest interview I've ever done. And, uh, and it, and it's definitely different. I mean, normally it's a lot more centered around kind of money and stuff, but, uh, you're such a great thinker. So it was super fun to have that conversation with you. Um, I appreciate make, that, man. Really I want to make sure that we link everything that you have in the, in the show notes below, but, uh, what are the best places? I mean, people to go read your stuff on medium and follow you on Twitter or what do you, what do you got? Pretty much. So I think, uh, I mean, there's a different flavor of me between Twitter and medium. You would know like, so on Twitter, I'm much more abrasive and yeah. sort of like, if you want to see the, the, the more psycho version of Alex, uh, <laughs> uh, on Twitter at Alex Svetsky and my name is for A L E K S then S V E T S K I. Um, my medium is my more long form thought out. You'll see a much more reserved version of me. Now my, my articles are probably still fiery, but like you, you'll, it's, it's much more thought out. So that's just svetsky.medium.com. Um, and then I implore everyone to check out the Bitcoin times. It's just bitcointimes.news. Don't put the www in front of it. I don't know for some reason that doesn't work. I'm not a tech whiz, but yeah, if you just do bitcointimes.news, uh, you'll get, you'll be able to download the, there's three editions now of the Bitcoin times. I implore everyone to sort of read through all of them uh i yeah that that's sort of the best places um and then oh actually i'm i'm sorry i always forget i'm doing this new podcast called the wake up podcast so oh. you know you yeah you'll you'll find that um i'm doing that with like it's it, it's not I'm not super consistent uh lately i've been a bit more consistent but it's more about long longer form discussions so it's like sort of joe rogan-esque kind of two to three hour discussions with i always have two guests on and we're kind of discussing ideas in a discussion format, less than an interview format. So if anyone wants to sort of, it, it's not just Bitcoin, it's very broad. So philosophy, I did one on, you know, religion. I did one with atheists. Uh, we did one called Bitcoin and biology recently. So it's, it's quite, the topics are really broad. So if anyone wants to, you know, red pill on that stuff, by all means. Well, if you enjoyed this, this show, then I'm sure you would enjoy that podcast. So um, go check that out. So uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Mark. I really, really appreciate it, man.